I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly podcast about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 23, the episode of Coming Forth by Day. What? It's a reference. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, who came third? I was going to stop you before you said it, but I couldn't stop you fast enough. <laughs> that means I win. <laughs> you can't constrain me. So that's Jamin. And, and that's Victoria. Oh, man. That means Jacob's the host tonight. Hi, Jacob. Yes. Oh. Hi. Again. Well, shall we start with Hell News? I'm really excited about this one. There is a movie that I must see. It's coming out in September, and Austin, Texas is going to have its United States premiere. Phil Tepet's Mad God. It is an 85-minute demented stop-motion journey into absolute insanity horror. I was actually going to ask if you meant the Phil Tepet of stop-motion cinematography. I certainly do mean the Phil Tippett of stop-motion cinematography. Is, it, is he a thing? He worked on Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Dragon Slayer, Howard the Duck. Never heard of any of those. He's also what pops up first uh, when you type Tippett into Google. Really? <laughs> so is this? are we going to use this for research for our stop-motion projects? Maybe. I don't know. I want to see the paper of Dante first. I'll see that. Okay. It's just, but like the, the god of horror? No, thank you. Yeah. Unless you're driving right now, though, I do encourage you to just stop us, go to YouTube, wait. I encourage you to go to YouTube, then stop us, wait. Don't stop us. Don't stop us. Uh, And look up Mad God Trailer 2021. It is a truly amazing journey into real scary horror. There's like crushing rusted machines and faceless monsters and panopticons, which we love our panopticons, horrible spider beasts, mushroom clouds. Thousand-legged shambling fright beasts, non-consensual surgery. It's really, really frightening. I'm looking forward to it. All those things sound like my prom night. And if you are driving, please use your turn signals. It's just polite. (laughs) Safety first. Well, this isn't really news. It's a news article. Uh, And in fact, it's really, really old. But it kind of has something to do with what we're going to be talking about. On the sun a news UK company, we have an article about a coffin containing the oldest map of the underworld, inscribed about 4,000 years ago. They found a coffin, and on it is a map of the underworld, which is really neat. So, like, we'll probably link this article in the show notes, and you can look at the pictures of the thing, which is a bunch of old stuff with things on it. But there's a map on it, and you can look at it and see the things. It's really neat. I think there's, like, two maps on it. Like, there's two options for your for your personal journey to the dead bath. I mean, it is called the Book of Two Ways. And by book, they mean coffin. Yeah, and if you look at it, I mean, there's two sides, either left and right or up and down, depending. But maps, like, this is just a bunch of scenes. I don't actually see a start point or an end point. Or even a you are here dot. It's like a Richard Scarry, you know, busy city or yeah whatever or or in life aquatic the the ship cutaway oh yeah mm-hmm. with the, with John, the... John, 
you're, you're missing you're missing the very central point that the you are here is the tomb. <gasps> oh. oh, deep. Yeah, uh-huh. very deep. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. I initially thought, like, when I looked at it, thought it was like a board game. Yeah, you know, kind of like the the um, voice of the mummy. Hmm. Mm. Isn't Snakes and Ladders based on the Egyptian Journey to the Dead? No, it's yeah, it based is. On, it, uh-huh. Oh, it is. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, there. So it's Candyland. What? No, I don't. I can't handle that. I couldn't handle Candyland, so it's we're even. Ganip Ganop as well. <laughs> Wait, is that a Smurfs reference or something else? It's ping pong backwards. And it took me until oh. I was like. 38 to realize that <laughs> i brought some entertainment <gasps> yay Woo-hoo! Uh, for tonight being lost in a graveyard filled with poets guarded by horned stinking nine-winged cows see that one could happen i'd rather have the cows than the poets yeah mm-hmm. yeah because you don't have to tell the cows that you enjoy their mooing <laughs> you can't tip a poet <laughs> Well, no one does. I know that. <laughs> Ow! Zing! <laughs> well, I have, I have, I have a drink, hmm. and it is called Mummy Juice. <laughs> so, Mummy Juice. I don't know if you could see what's in this vat here, but there's some bones and there's some red liquid pulled around the decomposing mummy bones. This, this actually is a real thing. In the um, oh god, it is, it is. It's a uh, in the port city of Alexandria. Oh um, god, <laughs> there is some some people found two thousand year old burial chamber, and people wanted to believe that the red liquid was medicinal. However, what do you think the red liquid actually was? Salsa. <laughs> so I, I close. Actually, getting kind of sick. <laughs> Sewage. However, there was a change.org petition called uh, Let the People Drink the Red Liquid from the Dark Sarcophagus, and it attracted more than 16,000 signatures. Look, if the people want to believe, the people want to believe. Exactly. And the founder of this, or the person who created this petition, Ennis McKendrick, said, Quote, we need to drink the red liquid from the cursed dark sarcophagus in the form of some sort of carbonated energy drink so we can assume <laughs> its power and finally die. Yeah. So I made, I, I made a drinkable version. Well, the first so version actually was what's in the too. vat before you is not the sewage. It is instead Campari, Angostura bitters, <gasps> Red Bull, and then a rat skeleton. And the rat skeletons is just a serving suggestion. You can use any skeleton. I like three out of four. Yeah, the the, the 3D printed skeletons. That would make... I love Campari. No one else in the entire world, apparently, except for you. (laughs) And I discovered quite by accident that if you pour Campari and Angostura bitters into a toilet, it is exactly the color of arterial blood. What did you Google? Mummy juice? Mummy juice. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just see little juice boxes wrapped in toilet paper. <laughs> Maybe you could just post that. <laughs> For preference. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh, the black mysterious sarcophagus. Oh, I'm see? choking yeah, up a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. It would also make a good jello mold. I'm really unhappy. <laughs> 
My work here is done. Well, now that we've all worked up an appetite, <laughs> I brought bruschetta. Oh, mm. that's simple. Yeah, it's uh, like nice, nice. And rarely involves avocados. It's a uh, tomato, peach, and avocado, actually. Oh. That sounds amazing. It, it is amazing. Um, I'll put a picture of it up. It's and They use brown bread, but I actually used the the half and half white rye and pumpernickel when they swirl it. So it's gorgeous. Wow. Hmm. Anything is an improvement over our recent culinary experience. A tomato, <laughs> peach, avocado, mommy juice. Actually, there's this really good, and I know um, beets are a big, they're a divisive thing, but there's this really great beet salad you can make in jello form. And I realized that the addition of little skeletons <laughs> would also make that dish. It's a beet aspic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm legit nauseated now. <laughs> <laughs> Get one of those little Lego skeletons and just kind of leave it in the middle. Yeah. 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 And who like after dinner, whoever gets a skeleton gets to be the king for the day. That's right. Or make the next jello mold. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we begin tonight? This is another huge Egyptian topic which will go over our precious minute budget. Do we have a we have a minute budget? I didn't. No, know we that. don't. Okay. No, we have no. There's no constraints on our freedom. Well, I do have one thing to a disturbing thing to add about using mummies as medicine. Oh. Yeah. So I found out that one of the reasons why they stopped doing it is because they found out that the bodies were actually slaves that had gone missing, the 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 ones that they were mining for bitumen for medicinal purposes were ill gotten, you know they were horribly harvested. Horribly harvested. <laughs> yeah, there it was unethical, unethical harvesting. Oh my god. Why it just gets worse when you go down the mummy hole. <laughs> Clinical studies prove that one hundred percent of people who partake in mummy medicine eventually die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean you're just delaying the inevitable, guys. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to start with the same preamble I started with last time, which is that the Egyptians weren't necessarily people obsessed with death, although that's the image that we have of them. Some of the texts I've been reading on this have described like this joyful afterlife where one's butt is several cubits wide from all the plenty one gets to eat in this lovely afterlife. It is a land of plenty that's like the next better chapter of the land of plenty that the Egyptians came from. So... Obsession with death seems to stem from obsession with life, and the same could be said about the Greeks and their invention of tragedy. I thought you were going to say fondue. Sorry. The, the Greeks and their invention of fondue. So don't look at this as the artifact of a culture obsessed with mummification for its own end, but a culture that really wanted to kind of keep the celebration going into the next millennium. Thank you. That makes sense, because, like, why go to all this effort to pull someone's spleen out through their nose, put it in a jar, you know, fill their bodies full of embalming fluids so that they could be in another dry, dusty place, right? Yeah. Grandma's in a better place now, and we're going to make sure she gets there. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about who goes to the land of the dead. That kind of makes sense at this point. Only the pharaoh. Well, no. It it changes over time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like early on there was kind of the storage box of the dead sort of structure, great great dusty waste bin, and only the pharaoh got to go to the good afterlife. 
but there's some images of like the barge of Ra traveling over the people that don't make it onto the barge of Ra, and how, how they kind <laughs> I mean, of are whining underneath. How sad. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cold. I know it is, right? It's, it's like Abominable Fancy, the first chapter. Were they like logs? Like the Ra was rolling his barge over these little like corpses going, ow, 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 <laughs> ow, 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 ow. Well, no, it's actually that they would they would start cheering when they saw the barge of Ra drift past. Like that was their moment in the sun. So to speak. Or under the yeah. sun. Yeah, all that. <laughs> uh, but in the, what, 2500 or so, the afterlife kind of opened up and more people could participate as long as they were the right sort of people. You mean rich. Mm-hmm. I do mean rich, right. yes, because you had to be able to afford your own personal, uh, really your own personal cemetery, practically. You have your mummification, you've got your own copy of the Book of the Dead is almost required, a number of other magical texts should be shoved in there with you, and it's a nice building, because if your corpse starts disintegrating, one of your, how many souls do the Egyptians have? Three, at least. One of your three souls can't make the journey between the land of the dead and land of the living, so you're not really able to participate fully in the afterlife anymore. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah. There, the afterlife was not for plebs, even as we get into the uh, the New Kingdom. Hmm. Is this a good time to talk about uh, pyramid text versus coffin text? I think it's the best possible time. Okay. Because there are a lot of... I mean, you've pointed out some differences there where it was kind of this break. Well, it's the Old, king, the old Kingdom versus Middle Kingdom. Yeah. And the pyramid texts were all about the pharaohs, then queens, then officials. And then the coffin texts were all about the common people, whoever could afford a coffin, essentially. Okay, okay. So when did the pyramid texts kind of begin? Are we talking like 3500 or? I do not have dates for the Old Kingdom. I had them and then stupidly deleted them. Do you have those dates? Do you have dates for the Old Kingdom? Well, it kind of spanned 3500 to 2500-ish or 2200 where it begins and ends and when the more religious ideas start and end. Like the Pharaoh became a god around 2500. Yeah. Okay. And that kind of makes sense with one of the utterances of the pyramid text, which is the cannibal hymn. Oh, now I have to know this. That's a, that's a hymn with a Y. <laughs> but but first, yes. first mm-hmm. Victoria. Not, not, he, he cannibal. Uh-huh. Victoria, yes. use your editorial skill and define pyramid text for me. So, <laughs> fun fact, pyramid texts were written inside of pyramids. Wait, oh. wait, go back. And so pharaohs had pyramids. So <laughs> this is ergo, too much for me. <laughs> I know, I know. Just take a moment. Take a moment to think about it a little bit. But yeah. So written on the walls of the pyramid? Written on the walls of the pyramid. Okay. Does this also Inside. bring mm-hmm. like real estate to it? It's like, if you own a pyramid, you can have long involved long-winded texts whereas if you have a coffin you only get six feet right mm-hmm. and so you gotta yeah. make it quick ergo okay. the richard scarry map <laughs> <laughs> so coffin text was written on the inside of the coffin and yes we've uh-huh. got some really mm-hmm. pretty ones like the the book of two ways which is not a book it's a coffin the coffin of mm-hmm. two ways which you were talking about earlier um which shows this lovely map of the underworld on the bottom of someone's coffin Snake Charmers, Squatting Gods, and Paths of Rostow on the left. Uh, bottom middle, you've got the four doorkeepers and the three doorkeepers. Um, oh, there's Mansion of Osiris. See, that's useful. That's that's a good place to know. 
Yeah, advance your token three squares, go to Osiris's mansion, do not pass go. And I was I was saying, it's like, this map really, it doesn't have a start or a finish. Like, I don't know, it's mappy. <laughs> it's mappy. Mm-hmm. And the circle of fire is a square. Oh, that's inconvenient. He might say, oh, they were, they were simple, you know, scribes and didn't have the tools, but just to the left, we have a long squiggly path. Maybe circle is kind of like, conceptually circle, like a place to be. Mm-hmm. They could have called it Fire Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to say something, Victoria? Oh yeah. So uh, the cannibal. So the, oh, the cannibal hymn. Difference. The cannibal hymn. So another difference between coffin text and pyramid text is that pyramid text dealt with the celestial realm. Coffin text dealt with the subterranean realm. And so in the celestial realm, the pharaoh, queen, official would become one with the gods, and it would actually demand the gods to nourish him, her, or they in the afterlife. And so the cannibal hymn essentially was about eating gods to absorb their celestial power. I'm very excited by this. Oh. See? Mm-hmm. Yeah. De- Deophagia is, is fun times. It's not, you know, hey, Rock, can you hand me a fig? It's, Ben, lean over here and lend me your ear. <laughs> it's not a pomegranate. That's not a pomegranate. Oh, mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm, no. Well, what what gods were they presumably eating? I mean, the Egyptians had thousands of gods. There were spares. The one in the Pyramid of Unis or Wenis described the early ro- uh, early royal butchery ritual. So that where the deceased king, assisted by the god Shesmu, slaughters, cooks, and eats the gods as a sacrificial bull. The and the gods could be punished for not helping. The pharaoh as well. There was like there there were threats to the gods included in those utterances. So pretty cocky. Hmm. Can I tell you about another thing in the pyramid text that's cool? Sure. This one is really fun. This is the opening the mouth ceremony. Oh yes, we're done mummification here, right? So this is like yeah, you got some ventriloquism going on, but it was important for the deceased to be able to eat in the afterlife. So. Various tools were used to actually cut open, either symbolically or actually, the mouth of the um, the body. So you could use a ritual adze, a spooned blade known as a pesikoff. I'm probably getting that wrong. A serpent head blade, and even a um, arm shaped ritual censer and a calf's leg could be put up to the mouth to kind of ritually open it. Was it the right leg? You know, probably was, given our previous conversations. The the spoon knife. Mm -hmm. Spell that for me. (laughs) S-P-O-O-N-K-N-I-F-E. Zing! P-E-S-E-S-H-K-A-F. I was actually expecting him to say T-H-A-T. Oh, no. Cool. I'm looking on Etsy right now for this. Mm, be a good Christmas gift. Uh, on the other end, literally, uh, there were penis splints for uh, people that were being mummified as well to make sure that their penis was pointing the correct direction as they went into the underworld. What is the correct direction for a penis to point? Up. Oh my gosh, I learned a new word today. Up? Is it vacuum? <laughs> because... <laughs> it's not penis. Is it weenus? It's ephalic. Oh, fish. That's fish. Why why is that fish? 
<laughs> I guess the iffy part. Yeah. But ithophallic is um, when a um, statue has an erect penis. I think they actually make, I think they might have made Osiris's willy out of a fish. So that word is very confusing to me. Whoa. I could be wrong there, but when, when, when he was dismembered by bad set, which we'll get there Mm -hmm. eventually, I assume um, the one part they couldn't find was his. This sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Go yeah, on. Yeah. Well, I can't go too much further than that. But they <laughs> they put it they put it back together in sort of a mummification thing, but they couldn't find his his willy. And since that's you know, that's like the center of life energy for male god, uh it was a problem. And I think they replaced well, Isis replaced it with something. Okay. No, 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 no. See, I I knew this. I could hear it. Fish has a C in it. It's ichthy. I-C-T-H-Y. This is I-T-H-Y. Victoria's word is ithyphallic. Uh-huh. Right? Ichthyphallic yes. is an entirely different word. But that's like, that's Greek, like, ethos, euthus, um, part of, like, good. Like, we talked about eutectic and eugenics, right? It's the, it's straight. Hmm. I'm going to type Osiris fish penis into my work computer and see what happens. I just did. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I was wrong. She didn't make a penis out of a fish. A, a penis. No, a fish ate the penis. <laughs> Two entirely different things. Yeah, I got a little confused there. I feel like that happens a lot. What part of that? <laughs> Me getting a little confused definitely happens a lot. Doesn't doesn't every culture have a story about either a wandering penis or a fish eating a penis, or am I just just am I just imagining that? <laughs> At least two cultures. We can go with more than one, but I don't know about every. I like hyperbole. Kind of going down the documents of the dead. I think the Book of the Dead probably counts as the most famous of these funerary texts. I think there's an image from one of Joan Fletcher's Egyptology videos. She unrolls a Book of the Dead, and it looks like it's about 20 feet long. Interesting. Uh, yeah, these are kind of papyrus scroll collections that gave very useful advice for navigating the land of the dead, kind of convenient spells to make sure that you wouldn't get held up by evil monsters, or, very importantly, you knew the names of all 42 judges of the dead, so when you got to the part where your soul is weighed, and they give you the tricky question of, what's his name? Which would be like my personal underworld nightmare. You had the answers right there. Hmm. So if you had a good Book of the Dead, and obviously you paid extra for the one that had your name in it, if you had a good Book of the Dead, getting to the point where your soul is judged, there's not even a question. It's just going to happen. You've got the guidebook. You've got the, like the radio instruction manual in your back pocket. The cliff notes. Exactly. And see, that was, no, I, I like this because going back to the Book of Two Ways, which was just a map you drew on the inside of the coffin for the deceased to find, like, this is actually described as a spell. It's, it's a spell more like than a map. Many spells. Yeah. And the protection, whereas, like, the Book of the Dead. And so, like, what's the one snake dude that no one likes? It's, um, uh, Apophis. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the Book of the Dead... Two of these spells are specifically how to keep Apep away, the bad sun-eating snake who uh, roams the underworld. Rather, more of them were 
uh, written with the intent of preventing the caster from eating poop. <laughs> also important. Dozens and dozens of them were written to prevent the caster from eating poop. So I'm going to have to read one. Uh, fine. From the chapter for going aboard the Bark of Ra, which you wouldn't expect to involve a massive poop scene. Oh, you who are great. Oh, you who are great in your bark. Bring me your bark so that I may take charge of your navigation in the duty which is allotted to me, who is among the unwearying stars. What I doubly detest, I will not eat. My detestation is feces, and I will not eat it. I will not consume excrement. I will not approach it with my hands. I will not tread on it with my sandals, because my bread is of white amber and my beer is of red barley. So did Dr. Seuss I will. I was going to say, I will not eat it with a fox. I will not eat it in a box. I will not eat it, Sam I am. So, so a question, because I was thinking about, I think about cannibalism a lot. You know, just as cannibalism is not necessarily about eating, is poop not necessarily about defecating? Like, is there like a metaphor? A little bit. I mean, part of it is the idea that this is an inverted world. I mean, literally, it's the underside. The duat is the underside of the physical world sometimes. So this is just inversion of natural processes. There was the real threat of eating poop in the underworld because it was so inverse. I think there's also kind of a just general dislike of filth. Here's a question. <laughs> My question is also about scarabs. So, but they aren't, don't they roll poop? Yes. So. We don't eat them. <laughs> no, but I mean, if they are like the, a sacred creature that rolls poop, I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind of like trying to piece all, all this together. all scarabs roll poop or just the dung beetles? Okay, Google. <laughs> dung beetle. Noun. A beetle whose larvae feed on dung, especially a scarab. Huh. Hmm. Hey, Google, subscribe to The Dispatchist. <laughs> Sorry, I just Oh, shut up, Google. <laughs> Interesting. Let's go with eating poop is bad. Okay. It's a safe place to start your conversation. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh huh. We're with you. So, the bark. The bark is big in i guess travel it's a it's a big it's a vehicle it's a method of conveyance right it's a boat whereas in mesopotamia where the underworld is a big dry wasteland full of dusty storage bins they didn't have a nile river so it wasn't part of their culture and their mythology and stuff right they had a border and the underworld is definitely demarcated by waters but it's not part of the terrain. Yeah. A demarcation versus a, what's the word for like, it's a method of conveyance. It's a, it's a, it's a travel route. Yeah. It feels like the Egyptian underworld has more lakes and rivers in it than Minnesota. Hmm. But doesn't the Mesopotamia have the Tigris and Euphrates? It Am does, but, the right? but there's boundaries mm -hmm. and they don't quite, I don't think they quite obsess about them as much as like the Nile flooding sort of mindset that you get with Egyptian They're marshy. They're, they're not navigable, or at least they weren't then. I don't know about now. Right. They're just kind of like the Fertile Crescent is such because of the, it's marshy. Right? Yeah. I mean, the Nile kind of defines Egyptian, the Egyptian space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not kind hmm. of, it does. Hmm. So there, there's there, at least one version of the underworld is just this long, this long river journey with all sorts of complex obstacles. So this is this is important. 
It's like a dark ride, which we also need to, that's a side project is for us to create our own dark ride based on the Egyptian afterlife. Yeah, it's like a, it's like Disney's, you know, Haunted Rapids or something. You go down this dark tunnel and all these painted tableaus appear all over you, but they will actually eat your soul. Is it a a water ride or a monorail ride? Oh, it's a water ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a, it's like disney's you know haunted rapids or something you go down this dark tunnel and all these like painted tableaus appear all over you but they will actually eat your soul it's like it's a small world but about hell it's kind of aquatic vision of the egyptian journey into the land of the dead i think comes from the book of the tuat or the book of two ways which you talked a little bit about and the tuat is the the egyptian underworld so the the book of the tuat is kind of what you find there the sort of river journey, dark ride version of the Land of the Dead is, what is it, New Kingdom? So maybe like a 1000 BCE or so. That's kind of where it pops up. And the idea is, I think a very common image of the journey of the soul is the troop, 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 troop down to the judgment with Osiris and your heart gets eaten by a little alligator dwarf. But this is a little different. In this version, you are lining up to get on the boat ride with Ra in the big sunboat. And there's some obstacles to get there, but the truly blessed get to ride on the boat with Ra forever. And the boat is on this endless kind of yearly or daily cycle, depending on what version you are. And it sounds like that should be the end of it, but the dark ride has all these weird detours and things like that. It goes through 12 different regions, and each region is subdivided. And there's just a huge number of strange events that might happen to you on this blessed boat, including the like birth, life, aging, and death of Ra himself. Wow, so you see that kind of like in Willy Wonka where you go through the little, you know, creepy tunnel? That is specifically not the comparison I would have gone for. <laughs> Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop. <laughs> I like the way you said that so sadly, like, Augustus Gloop. <laughs> Okay, so we're in the afterlife, we're on the boat, but the boat is the destination. It's not like you get to ride yeah. the boat with Ra and you end at Febtopia. Yeah, right. So, yeah. okay, see, like, I was hoping you'd be like, you come down, you get on the boat, you you cruise with Ra and everyone gets there. So the people not on the boat, I thought it's like, okay, they just float around and they still eventually get there. Just they drag themselves up on shore and they're, you know, waterlogged. But they don't get to go anywhere. They're just under the boat. Or near the boat or on the shores watching the boat pass or something. Hmm. Yeah, some people don't make it. And that's sad. They didn't get the good book of the dead. (laughs) They got like the, the remainder mass market yeah. So we talked about like real estate and it it depends on how big your coffin is, how many spells you get, right? I'm a relatively short guy, which means they're not going to be able to write as much. Well, you have the entire tomb to store them in, so, you know. I'm also not a very rich guy. Well, okay. You also won't have any beer uh, buried with you. Oh, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like one beer would be like somebody's entire... Your salary, so sorry. Drink them while you got them, lads. In heaven, there is no beer. <laughs> Every version of the Egyptian world of the dead just gets increasingly more baroque and complicated as we up, <laughs> as Do we tell. go as we go further down the road of myth complication. 
further down the canal of complication. Yeah. Mm. A lot of what we have, what I have brought to this episode comes from the work of Sir Ernest Alfred Wallace Budge. Mm-hmm. Sir, Alf- Sir Ernest Alfred Wallace Budge. I'll just say that again because I like his name. Uh, <laughs> would you believe he's British? What? It's true. Zouds. Oh my gosh. Uh, somewhere in his really fun book, The Egyptian Heaven and Hell, he asserts that one of the reasons that the Egyptian afterlife was so very complex is that the Egyptians held onto every single religious idea they found, just in case it might be right. Ooh, they're like little decorator crabs of religion. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's absurd or contradictory, because the important thing is they kept it in the box somewhere. <laughs> I love that. It makes them so adorable. Just in case. It does. I know it sounded really condescending. I didn't mean that. I love it. I'm just saying, like, I love a pastiche. Yeah, they're not here right now. So in this kind of moving, I'm kind of reminded of one of those first-person shooter games where you're like on this giant platform that goes down into the depths of this military video game war industrial complex, and you keep stopping and fighting off new bad guys and things like that. This is how this barge ride plays out to be. Um, things you would encounter on Ra's barge through the Tuat, uh, the Lake of Boiling Water, the place with three-headed winged serpents, mm. a giant pyramid from which emerges the Beetle of Night, <sighs> 12 jackal-headed gods who invite Afu-Ra to bathe in the Lake of Fire. Who's Afu-Ra? Uh, an incarnation of Ra, I assume. So a version of the sun god. Oh, which there are okay. several. Yeah. There are also multiple Osiruses, and I don't know what's going on there. That's interesting. Yeah. I think the Book of Going Forth by day mentions like multiple Osiruses. And also, I think it might be like a code word for the soul itself, because in some of the spells you hear, uh, it's like the Osiris, and that's the person that is mummified. Mm. Who is Osiris in context, not out of context. Well, generally, he's the god of the dead or the god of the blessed dead. But also can be used to refer to the soul of the traveler. Yes, I think mm-hmm. so. They skipped that in fifth grade. Yeah, but I'm not finished with my list. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> a large number of gods who have been mummified and sound like cats. Uh, <laughs> See, that is my... I would be very happy to be in that, in that, yeah. in that world. The pig of evil. <laughs> All pigs are evil. Twelve gods, each of whom is tending a colossal ear of wheat, which is actually a part of Osiris, who was a harvest deity. What? <laughs> Apes with fishing nets. But, or are they wearing fish nets? No, yes. Now they are. <laughs> the serpent Tepi, with four human heads and bodies at each end of his body. And bodies that he shed? Would it, would it say that again? Let me try that. I, I messed that one up. The serpent Tepi who has four human bodies and heads at the end of his body, at each end of his body. At each end of his uh, body is a new body and a head? I think that his each end of his body splits into four human torsos with four human heads. So either four heads or 16 heads at each end of his body. Wow. Is that clear? Totally. Six deities with crotch knives. <laughs> and a Five huge serpent. Five golden rings. <laughs> And a a serpent which appears as a ram-headed man. (laughs) See, that's the partridge in a pear tree. That's the least excited. A ram-headed man. Oh, no. Bring it at me, bro. A serpent that appears as a ram-headed man. But who hasn't thought about that? So I have a question. I always have a question. So, So we have in all of these books or maps, too, you're going on this journey with Ra 
And then you either wind up with Osiris at the end, like that's the happy ending, or in some cases, Thoth, or both. So what is the... Because at least with the... um. The Book of the Two Ways, like the longer version, you wind up having a conversation with Thoth as well. Well, Atam Ra, the sun god, ascended to the heavens and became kind of a distant god. And mm-hmm. he's more or less the sun. Part of his story is this cyclic journey through the Duat each night where they fight the Apep and apparently 12-headed jackal gods and whatever. So every night, or maybe every year because that's also a cycle, Ra makes this journey. So one version of the afterlife seems to be to to be on the raw party barge. <laughs> doing karaoke. Yeah, but you're partaking of eternity by doing that. And awesome. I think Egyptian myth is very cyclical and and endless. It kind of cycles backwards and forwards. So one version is this endless barge boat party thing. And another version is and I guess we could we could go to that now, another version is the journey to the field of reeds which is the kingdom that Osiris presides over. Now, one commentator did say that Osiris is not the benevolent god of the dead, but that he's, you can't see my hands. He's the, (laughs) he's the god of the blessed dead, by which meaning people with money. Okay. Okay. But also, I guess later people, I mean, that was one of the things also that connects the book of the two ways so the Book of the Two Ways is seen as a precursor to Book of Gates because it introduces an element of either tasks or judgment for the common person. So right? these are labors that you have to get through to even yes. get to the point where your soul is judged. So then that buys you through labor the chance of achieving an afterlife without labor. Okay. Okay. Um so the, I had been under the impression that you pretty much had to buy your way into the afterlife regardless, and that over the course of the Old Kingdom to New Kingdom transitions, the price tag got lower and lower, but it was never really like truly democratic. Like The beggar on the street would never be able to get into the good afterlife. Right. I'm not sure about that, but the judgment element did kind of hint that no matter how much money you brought to the table, you were still judged. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if you were a rich person, you could buy your way through a lot of the obstacles. It'd be like getting an e-ticket, but you still might fall off and die. Right. Yeah, the second death. Yeah, exactly. That could happen to you. So there's a huge amount of obstacles to get to the place where your soul, where your soul number two or soul number three, where you, as a, as a creature, stand in front of Osiris and Anubis judges your soul, and if you are judged to not be aligned with Miet, the or we, we wanted to say Maat, which is how it's spelled, but Miet is the kind of this principle of balance and order and harmony. If you are not Miet enough, then your heart is heavier than the feather of Miet, and it is fed to Amut, the dwarf crocodile thing. Bummer. Anubis judges you. Osiris, I guess, watches the entire thing with a bag of popcorn. Amit eats your soul if you're bad. No, Amit eats your heart if you're bad, or if you're out of line with Miet. Not bad. That's not really good or evil. And that would be the end of you. That's kind of the the your final death. If you're eaten by Amit, if you're not eaten by Amit, then you can go onward to the 
field of reeds, and you still might die. There's a lot of ways to die, but the field of reeds is kind of like the Elysian fields. It's just a basically nicer version of the afterlife. Still very agricultural. There's still a lot of work to do, but it's it's a land of plenty. Hmm. Okay. And so that getting through the, like the the idea of tasks or judgment also gets to the idea of the gates. And there are seven of them. In the Book of the Dead, the Book of Gates has 12. And then the deities of the 21 secret portals of the mansion of Osiris in the field of rushes <laughs> has 21. Of course it does. There's, there's a host of these texts that... All in all, there's more than a thousand guardian deities listed for oh. for gates. Jeez Louise. Again, it's like Tolkien. It really is. And like D&D, like I, it, you know, this is very much D&D-like. Along with the gates, there's like regions, and I didn't understand that. I was interested in it, but I didn't understand that. Yeah, it's unclear whether the gates, yeah, like do you go through the gate into another region or like, yeah, I did not, is it? Door number like, one. Yeah, like is it almost kind of video game? Like you have different levels, and but then you have certain tasks within each level to get to the next level. Like are the world those little worlds the levels, and the gates are the tasks. Like yeah, and the gates are after Osiris judges you, right? That's a very good question. This this conversation brings to mind a quote I read where it was like in ancient Egypt. Death wasn't merciful enough to end one's troubles. Yeah. And like yeah. going through this was like, no, you're absolutely right. It's like, oh man, I've lived a hard life. Now I'm dead. And oh, cripes, I got to face the jackal headed knife fish demons with four bot. I don't even know, man. This is tough stuff. I believe, and this is from the History of Hell, excellent book. And I'm not going to say informed by Sir Ernest Alfred Wallace Budge. I'm going to say confused by Sir Ernest Alfred Wallace Budge because there's so much. I think that once you face judgment, which is his own obstacle course to get there, after that, you pass through the gates and on to your final destination, which is somewhere in this Elysian Fields thing. But there's a lot of realms there that are represented by the 12 gates, and these 12 regions. And some of them are bad. Some of them are really unpleasant. But they're all part of the world of the land of the dead. They're all part of the duat. I know what our favorite is. Oh, yeah. The region that is unknown even to the gods ruled by Mathetef, the god who dwelleth in his egg. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's warm here. I like it. I'm not getting out. <laughs> Later on, we learn more about the god of the egg in a subchapter, I think, in the Book of Two Ways. Again, this is Budge. The god referred to as being in the egg is, of course, a form of the sun god. And we know from the 19th chapter of the Book of the Dead that, that the egg was lain by Kinkinur, or the great cackler. <laughs> <laughs> but Budge's book is in English, and I'm still completely lost by it. <laughs> the great cackler. Yes. Who cackles? Who ca I mean, we've been cackling all night, but... A, a giant chicken. It's Yeah, I think... A great cackler is just a really good chicken. <laughs> uh, another, I think, for our purposes, very noteworthy region is the flaming lake with a serpent in it. <laughs> hey, that's useful. Well, that that comes up later on. Is, is yes. that where Afuru, Afuru can take a bath? Afura? 
Uh, no, I think that's a... No, Jamin. Don't be silly. <laughs> How many flaming lakes can there be? Uh, that's a different flaming lake. That was from the Journey of the Barge of Ra, sir. Easy mistake to make. Easy mistake. <laughs> I feel so silly now. So I found out... Okay, I, find, I found a clue about Thoth. Let's have a thoughtful conversation. A thoughtful. <laughs> ah, zing. Again, with the happy ending at the Book of the Two Ways, he's described as the son of Osiris. When you win, when you go through your like American gladiator thing with the two ways, you become one with Thoth, and you get to spend eternity in the presence of Ra. So Thoth, the son of Osiris. I guess Osiris is too busy to hang out with you, so... He's not very yeah. chatty. I mean, he's the god of silence, so maybe... <laughs> so. <laughs> maybe they want you to be with the god of well anyway, or was it... <laughs> As you know, Bob. <laughs> uh, so some of these little worlds kind of sound like a hint of hell, right? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. There's Boiling Water Lake, Iron Walls, um, the one that's got Osiris in it, but spirits eat the sick and weak. Hmm. So, okay, if you're dead, are there sick and weak dead? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're acting like I have answers here. I know, I know. But I was thinking about the book of the two ways, because is it Rostow? The... Yeah, Rostow. There was something about him in my notes. It's a, it, it's a place, or is it a place and a person, as is often the case? Because it's filled with demons... Some have the head of scarabs, others are holding serpents. There's one creature who eats his father. Let's see. Is this the Book of Two Ways map? Yeah, yeah. He who eats his father's, he who eats his mother's, he who drives off set when he is angry. And that's kind of like you have to get through that to get to the field of Osiris. There's Rostow and Rostow in confusion. That's I, that that phrase now sounds familiar. What was Rostow in confusion? I have to look up Rostow. Now I'm just even more confused than I was before. It's all very very confusing. I feel like we need a flow chart. I feel like we need a map of all these maps. A map that we can inscribe inside our coffin. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. So at least sometimes Rostow is the realm of Osiris, god of death. I guess that's kind of synonymous with the field of reeds. But it's a bad version? No, I don't think so. Well, it has demons. Well, no, I don't know. The Book of the Two Ways is also known collectively as the Guide to the Ways of Rostow. So, these two ways refer to two paths that zigzag across a dangerous landscape beset with obstacles and demonic entities towards Rostow, the realm of Osiris. Rostow is said to be the boundary of the sky, is locked in by darkness and surrounded by fire. Mm. So, it's hard to get there, but... Not a bad place in particular. Okay, but it is, so... it is it is it is dark and mm -hmm. foreboding apparently, and filled with gods and demons who are not nice, and some have scarab heads, and some eat their father. I don't know. I, <laughs> why does Osiris have this place? This sounds horrible. Um, he who lives on maggots is down there somewhere. No, not oh, him. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Maybe Osiris's kingdom is. I don't know. This is so strange. It's so complex. So you get through Rostow, and it's bad, and then eventually it's less bad, and the less bad is what you're aiming for, and that's where Thoth shows up, and he's fairly friendly. Mm -hmm. And if you know the right spell, you'll be like Ra in the East Sky, but you have to get through Rostow, which is not a pleasant place. 
God, even the articles about this are confusing and contradictory. This is like a few thousand years of mythology to muddle through. Yeah, it is. And there's so many different versions of these things. But yeah, you have to justify your actions in life and deny wrongdoing before you get into the bark of Ra, which I guess you get to after you get through all of this other stuff. And then it's smooth sailing. It's like the line in Disneyland that's <laughs> two hours long for a five-minute ride. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So where are we? We are... We might be at Book of Caverns. Okay. Do we want to talk about gates at all? Oh, I thought we did. Let's talk about gates. There's just a few extra things about gates since we talked about gates. Because one of the interesting things about gates is that they actually are considered just like the map. The I keep, I keep talking about the Book of the Two Ways, but it's very, very important that it actually, in some cases, showed real geographical features. So yes. It, it was like very clear, like the underworld or the um, afterlife as a geographical region with geographical. Well, and and some cities had their own afterlives regions of their own. So like, not only is this complicated, but you know, Thebes had its own specific afterlife place. Yay! Right. Yeah. But not directly relevant. <laughs> right. But and so these gates were were considered to be actual architectural objects. In many cases. In the real world? In the afterlife. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, it wasn't a metaphorical gate that you have to get through. It was actually a physical thing that you had to get through. And they were all guarded. <laughs> it's Osiris's escape room. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And um, like you said, the Book of the Dead had seven gates. And each one had a god, a doorkeeper, and a herald. So, you know, on gate one, the god is upside down, a face manifold of forms, doorkeeper is secret listener, and the herald is miserable of voice. So you had three figures that you had to communicate with for each gate. And some of them have great names like hostile of face, loquacious, eater of the foulness from his hindquarters. That's a big one. That's, that's we don't the do god. that here. More poop. <laughs> More poop. But then the Book of Gates, again, this is where it gets confusing. That one had 12, and they were all named as goddesses. And they huh. were often described as having, each one were identical, but they were wearing five-pointed star, like a five-pointed star above their heads. And so each one represented the hours of the night. They don't appear anywhere else in Egyptian mythology, only here. Now they just created gods and goddesses for the fun of it anyway, so that's not really a surprise. They really did, yeah. And so some people speculate that the Book of Gates originated as, essentially as a system for determining the time at night because of that whole star and 12 goddess thing. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But in here in these gates, the and this is all provided by the wall paintings in the Valley of the Kings, each gator pylon consisted of three elements, a spitfire snake placed in front of the access, the gate itself, and that they're described both as a true architectural portal and as a goddess, and then the guardian deities. So you had to properly, you had to know how to <laughs> get past all of these things. One of the demon's names was he who dances in blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's some measurement that happens at the fourth gate. 
You're measured by ropes. <laughs> That's when this you need is... the penis splint. Yeah. <laughs> and also, this is the gate where the four human ethnic groups are designated. Men, women, children, and... And this is all according to the Egyptians. So you had Egyptians, um, Levantines, Libyans, and Nubians. Okay. And the measurement, the, the rope measurement was also a tax, a tax assessing tool. Oh, well, good. I'm glad that doesn't stop after death. Nope. <laughs> death and taxes. Yeah, so they're like, all 12 of them are very interesting. There's a hawk-headed lion at the ninth gate. Oh, but it's cute. <laughs> oh, yeah. Third gate, the guardian snake is Stinger, while the portal itself is the goddess mistress of food. Oh, I like her. Yeah, who doesn't like the mistress of food? Then the last gate, you actually meet Isis and Nephthys, and they are in the form of snakes. And then if you get through this gate, your journey through all the gates is finished, and the sun rises on the world in the form of a sacred scarab. That was going to be my exact question. If you make it all the way through the night, are you met with sunrise? And the answer is yes. Dawn. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's essentially like an hour, like every single hour. Okay. And, and, I, and I don't know if this is one of the cyclical ones or not. You know, it would make sense for it to be. I think everything implies cyclical. Mm-hmm. Are we kind of mining on this particular topic? I just want to give a shout out to the deities of the 21 secret portals of the mansion of Osiris in the field of rushes. Yo. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, we have portals as goddesses, guardian gods. Mistress of Darkness, Mistress of the Altar, Powerful of Knives. This is why they had 3,000 gods and goddesses. Oh my god, they just love naming things. I feel like there was some, there was definitely some Mad Libs going on here. Ceaseless and Knifing, Cook Off His Braziers. What? Yeah, Ceaseless and Knifing is the goddess and the god of, this is of the 11th portal. Ceaseless and Knifing is the goddess, Cook Off His Braziers is the god... Um, Mistress of Anger, Dancing on Blood, 14. God, there is Screecher. Oh, hey, it's Lilith. Uh-huh. Oh! 15. Might Great be. of Valor, Vigilant of Face. Clever in Bowing is the god for 16. Uh. Yes. Ah, the last one is Sharpener of Flint to speak for her, and the god is Giraffe. <laughs> Maybe it made more sense in context. <laughs> <laughs> one would hope. I think giraffe would be a good band name, though, just on its own. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it kind of would. It's, it's so simple. It really would. Uh huh. Giraffe. We talked about Rostow. Is it Rostow? I think it's Rostow. Rostow, which is kind of an early hint of hell potentially, and so yeah, um, it's yeah, kind of so, kind of malign. Right, right, and we've talked about the idea of judgment kind of appearing in the book of the two ways and in the book of gates or the book of yeah book of gates so another new important new kingdom text is the book of caverns this is one of the best sources of information about the egyptian concept of hell but jamin you're going to be disappointed never no you are because this one doesn't have as many pictures oh (laughs) it's really it's the most literary and text heavy so okay i can still Draw on the margins with my green crayon. <laughs> I'm only going to talk about the the hell parts of this because again, there's a lot going on here. 
spoiler alert, you're on a journey with Ra again. But in this case, you're alongside him as he's interacting with the inhabitants of the netherworld. And this one is really heavy on the rewards for the righteous and punishments for the enemies of the worldly order and those who failed judgment. So it's harder on people deserving punishment than any other book that we've talked about so far or that has existed. It feels like this almost partakes of the vision literature mode where people go on these journeys to see the punishments of the wicked and that's kind of a valuable teaching lesson for them later in life. Like that's a- Is there another book that does that maybe? Well, several, but it's a big <laughs> it's a major like medieval literary trope. Well, I guess the Inferno does, even though I haven't read it. That's what that does, right? The Inferno is the last one to do it because Dante kind of killed the genre. Should I just actually like write what I think the Inferno's about? Would that be That'd be really oh, funny, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Inferno by Victoria. <laughs> I'll borrow Jamin's crayons. <laughs> so the Book of Caverns is divided into two halves, each one marked by a depiction of the ram-headed sun god, and those are divided into three other sections. So there's six sections in all. And this is only important because the lower quadrant or lower register of all of those sections deals with a depiction of what seems to be hell. So at the very beginning of the book, you have Ra heading into the darkness to defend and provide care to Osiris. And you get, in this one, you see... Osiris's enemies beheaded, even though he's being guarded by serpents, and they are to be punished in the place of annihilation, an ancient Egyptian concept of hell. So Ra then condemns them to non-existence. Wait, in the first part, is they're punished instead of instead of annihilation, right? But then they get non-existed. They yes, they are punished in the place of annihilation, and then they are condemned to. Annihilation. Non-existence. Uh, to, again, yeah, the same. Yeah, <laughs> it means the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it hurts before you go away. Yeah. They're beheaded. Mm-hmm. That's unfun. This is a 20th Dynasty book, and it's fairly late in the Egyptian mytho cycle. We're talking about maybe 1000 BCE at this point. So 2,500 years of fairly laissez-faire mythologies led up to this, and someone must have gotten upset with the slack nature of Egyptian enforcement or something. No, it's it's that in the beginning, there were a bunch of villages and tribes, and they were all separate. Like After 2,000 years of this, obviously there had been trade. They'd made it over to Mesopotamia, and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you guys have it way worse. We just you know, faff about with crocodiles. And they come back, and they're like, you would not believe what those Akkadians do. Like, oh, we gotta have some of that. Let's punish the unrighteous. It's uh it's just trade routes, man. Okay, I can believe that. Yeah. Well so I made that up just now. Like that's pure conjecture on my part. It's but it sounds good. It does, and it makes me what you bring up is the idea of social engineering, like did this have a purpose, like a purpose for controlling mm. <laughs> the masses? Yeah. No, that's you know? a- that's a great point, is that from the beginning in Akkadian, Sumerian, Mesopotamian, like I keep saying, it's like religion is society. Religion is society. It's how you control your masses. Whereas in Egyptian, you kind of don't get that feeling in the early stages. It's just, oh, hey, there's some bits and there's a bit and there's a man with a jackal on his head. And it's not really social engineering until 
we start judging the unrighteous. And as death becomes slightly more democratized, money or wealth is not the indicator of a good person versus a bad person. Mm. So you start to have to have these other things to weigh and to control for, potentially, especially like the rise of the middle class. If that, I don't even know if that really was a thing in Egypt, but if you do have trade, you're probably going to start having a class of merchants. Yeah. Skilled workers and things. We're make, I'm making a lot of assumptions about <laughs> <Egyptian> <laughs> culture here, but I'm just thinking about, you know, my own basic understanding of civilization. But so again, just going through some other visions of hell here in the third section, again, in the lower register, you see those who are, in, who, who are, who are actually in hell. So in this case, the enemies of order essentially are all, are all upside down and some have been decapitated again. And the first two groups are pleading for mercy. And you also see women in the groups that are being punished and asking for mercy. So the wicked are in the primeval darkness of the place of annihilation. And by the end of this little um, comic strip, even their souls are upside down and thus their souls are also being punished. So interestingly, also the ithyphallic corpse of Osiris is also here among the enemies but Ra sits above him. So the sun disk sits above him. The next time we see hell, we see the enemies in hell. And this time they're not decapitated, but instead standing on their heads between them and the annihilators of the place of annihilation. The punishing demon is Muti, the cat formed one from whose clutches there is no escape. So in this little strip, We've been told that their bodies have been robbed of their souls and they can neither see nor hear raw. So you have distance from God oh. or a God Ooh. as punishment. That is one of the classic ideas of hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They totally syncretized that. Yeah. So this next version of hell, there's a female deity who carries two stakes in her hand and she's about to punish two bound prisoners who kneel before her. So this may actually be pornography. We're not sure. But in the following two scenes, the enemies are being punished in large cauldrons. Hmm? Okay, so this is kind of comical. In the first cauldron, their heads and hearts, which of course the Egyptians thought of more as the mind. And in the second cauldron, they're the decapitated, bound, upside down enemies themselves. So, ure, I don't know what a yeah, ure is. That word turns up a lot. I don't either. It's U-R-A-E-I, fans the flames beneath the cauldrons, which are being held above the fire by the arms of the place of annihilation. So that just sounds like a Bosch painting, right? A, a lot of this does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, um, in the lowest register, the bottom of the sixth sec- section, sixth section, so you find scenes of punishment in the place of annihilation, Goddesses wielding knives torture supine beheaded figures with their heads set at their feet and whose hearts have been torn from their bodies. Oh, ouch. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> and here the text also explains that the soul and shadow of these enemies has also been punished. So your soul and your body can be punished. You also see four bound female enemies who are guarded by two jackal-headed goddesses. Ra's condemn these enemies once again to the place of annihilation and then you see four more headless, kneeling and bound enemies guarded by a god and goddess. And finally, in the very last scene of the whole thing, 
The enemies are thrown headfirst into the depths, the place of annihilation, while Osiris rises out of the abyss. So again, you also have Jesus. <laughs> you have the harrowing of hell, in a, in a sense. In a, mm-hmm. Hey, I, I like to think, at least at the end of the day, there is annihilation, right? It's not eternal torment, it's mm-hmm. punishment and then... Release. Release. That's exactly the mm-hmm. word, yeah. Hmm. But it sounds like, I mean, in the in in the version that we kind of dealt with earlier, where the soul goes down through this complicated path and then gets judged, that was very obvious annihilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that just wasn't enough. Like, we had to have phase two annihilation because there wasn't enough tormenting of bad people. Huh. Because there's still an ongoing argument about conditional annihilation versus eternal damnation. People don't like the idea that the, that the bad people aren't condemned forever. They just go away eventually. But hmm, it's a hard sentence yeah. to finish. Well, it's also interesting that there's not the kind of Christian understanding that the body is merely a vessel for the soul. It's yeah. almost as if, like there's those are two very important things yeah. that both can be rewarded and both can be punished. Right. Yeah. This is a very physical afterlife. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you need to have your body with you, and it needs to be able to eat, and you need to be able to clean yourself, and you need to have things, because it's not just a vessel. Yeah. So, there you have it. Well, I learned me a thing. <laughs> what was your favorite part? We should start talking about, what was your favorite oh, part? What did you, uh-huh. That's, a, that's good. They're like, again, I said it, you know, in fifth grade, you're like, oh, here's ancient Egypt, and it's vast mythos, but they never actually go into it. Victoria, my favorite part is the god who is an egg. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. And inarguable. Mm-hmm. My favorite is giraffe. Giraffe. There was giraffe. So I don't know if we really cover this in the sufficient detail to which I would like us to be accustomed. Uh, Ushabdi, the little statues, mm-hmm. I think they're kind of amazing. I know we talked about it a few times already, but I want to just circle back because this is an agricultural world and an agricultural afterlife, assuming you're not on the magic floating bus Disney ride. And it's a very nice place, but you have to do a lot of work, which is kind of reminds me of the Matrix. Like if there's not (laughs) some degree of turmoil or trouble, you're not going to believe it. But if you have an Ushabti, they'll do some of that work for you. There's a spell. An Ushabti is a little statue, probably looks like Osiris, or maybe it looks like you. I don't know. So these these are kind of like little golems, and they're charmed, and when you get to the afterlife, they will thresh the fields or whatever. Uh, the Shabdi reply is, I will do it verily, I am here when you callest. The name means something like follower or answerer or something like that. And these are extremely common. They're like second to scarabs in terms of things you find from ancient Egypt. They're just everywhere. Because the more of them you have, the better your afterlife is, obviously. They will do your work for you. I kind of wonder if this is descended from the stone things in the end of the Epic of Gilgamesh, because I don't know what the stone things are otherwise, hmm. and no one does, but I can't find any Google document that says that's the case. So are they like the, um, I mean, these are much larger, but the the warriors in the Forbidden City. The Terracotta Army? Yeah. Yeah, I bet they kind of partake of that idea. There's actually, there's a picture of, it's like the, the troop of the funerary servant, and it's just ranks and columns of these Ushabtis. And so, yeah, like... This is a mass-produced industry here. Yeah, very similar. Could this be merch for us if we make little 
You shot these of our likenesses. <laughs> no, you don't want our likenesses because then we'll be doing someone else's work in the underworld. Oh, that's, that's a true. good point. That's true. Hmm. Submit your face. <laughs> and we'll print That's an right. of you to bury with us. <laughs> Send us your biodata. Circling back a little bit on kind of why this is important, because ultimately we're on our own personal hell journeys here, and this is a part of it. The Egyptian afterlife was the first one to really spell out the judgment of the soul. Before, there was some judgment, but it was just kind of social judgment. There was not the sense that you'd be weighed because of your actions, but just kind of a popularity contest. For the most part, the afterlife was just, you know, the box for the dead. This is the first afterlife that not only had a place other than the Great Grey Wasteland, it had a very spelled out afterlife. There was locations and things like that. And there's a level of complication that is astonishing. But it was an afterlife that had a mythology and a story and aspects and could be described in great colorful detail. Great colorful detail. This is almost a choose-your-own-adventure type of afterlife novel. Yeah. <laughs> so it, this, this is an afterlife that that has a story. This is an afterlife with a message and a narrative that's an important part of this culture. These are both exciting things. It also has a lake of fire. That's kind of a plus. Multiple. Uh, it's the first punitive afterlife, hmm. sometimes, depending on what moment you're looking at in the myth cycle. There's a lot of these things that are going to come back to us. Some scholars have said that people didn't borrow too heavily from the Egyptians, but I think that there's little ideas that did bleed in because you can't share cultural overlap for a thousand years. No matter how complicated their religion is, there's still going to be some stories that, that make the jump to your culture. Hmm. I mean, you do have, well, I don't, it'd be interesting to know what the, because I'm not sure about this, like what the, you know, there are other cultures that mummify. And so are there differences in the purpose there, like there are things that are similar. I just know? don't think anybody can come up with these 16 versions of the soul. <laughs> no. Without seriously thinking about it for a long, long time in a desert. Yeah. It's almost like they just had to go big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's complicate things. Uh-huh. A lot of this predates the, the Jewish religion, which kind of we inherit with the Bible by, you know, a thousand years or so, because the entire Jewish faith wasn't really established until like 800, 700 thereabouts. So all of this is kind of formative material for what would come later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm intrigued by it because there is just so much, you know. Well, we have another three episodes on it, I suspect. So I think next we're going to talk about Osiris and Isis and Horus, maybe? Kind of the, the nicer gods and goddesses. Yay! Are you psyched about that, Jamin? I, I just, I feel like we've had enough people being mean to another for a while. We should, we should be nice to another for each other. So join us next week in an action-packed episode where we discuss the God of the Blessed Dead, his wife, his extended family, and some of their stories. Well, as we're wrapping up, uh, we've talked an awful lot about burial chambers and their meanings. And if you enjoyed this kind of cryptography, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe. Uh, we have a Twitter, which is Jacob. No, I'm just reeling based on that pun. <laughs> the Dispatchist. At The Dispatchist, we have a webpage, which is, Victoria? Dispatch.ist? Yes. Dot com? No. Dot org? Dispatch.ist. <laughs> Dispatch.ist. 
We'd love it if you subscribed on your podcatcher of choice. And if you had a friend, which we don't, we'd love it if you shared with them. You want to be our friend? Please. <laughs> and, and we'll see you in hell. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. So, do we want to talk about the Book of Caverns? Is that the one where we sit in front of a wall and, and people make shadows shape and people make, what's the word? Hand, sh- hand shadows? Hand, hand puppet? I, is it hand shadows? Shadow puppets. Shadow puppets. Shadow puppets. Okay. Mm-hmm. No. Yes? Hand puppets? Shadow puppets? Yeah, shadow shadows. puppets. We're like, this is, a, this is a dog. No. No, guys, no. Ugh.